This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DTC pod. I'm your host, Jay. And today I'm joined with Aisha Chotani, who is the co-founder of Moment. And Moment is a natural botanical beverage. Aisha, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you on here to talk a little bit about Moment. And I know you guys have a really cool story and have done a great job in terms of gathering feedback for your product before launching. So excited to dive into that as well. But before we jump in, I want to turn it over to you. If you want to give a quick intro to the audience and kind of just tell us a little bit more about Moment in your own words and a little bit about yourself and your background. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Jay. It's quite an honor and really excited to be here and share a story. So a little bit about me. I have lived, worked and grown up in different parts of the world prior to moving to the US, which has really taught me to be fearless and take on anything. I moved here to study at Harvard Business School, which is where I was inspired to start my own business. And the idea of Moment really started when I was working in a somewhat stressful management consulting job where my afternoons would be filled with notifications, deadlines, to-dos, and everything around me would be sugary and caffeinated. So I started building a meditation and mindfulness rituals and started incorporating some of the ingredients that I had grown up with into my diet. What I realized is the impact of that was immense, both for my physical uh, and mental well-being. But people around me found it pretty intimidating to get into a session of meditation or adopt it on an ongoing basis along with using some really healthy ingredients that are out there to make themselves feel better, especially when they're going through a stressful period of their lives. And that's really why I started a moment. We wanted to make it a feeling that is accessible to anyone in the middle of their busy workday, because the feeling of meditation is so powerful. So that was the beginning of the moment journey. Moment is a natural botanical beverage that lets you renew and feel ready to take on the world. And the proprietary blend of botanicals and adaptogens are scientifically proven to stimulate the alpha brain waves, the same waves as meditation, helping you reduce stress, improve focus, enhance creativity. And lastly, you know, for us, it's more than just a beverage business. We want to help everyone out there access that feeling and build healthy habits. And a portion of our proceeds actually goes towards helping kids in school learn about mindfulness. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even know about that part. I don't think you mentioned that when we had spoken before, but that's great. So this is your first trip into the beverage industry, right? That's right. That is definitely the case. So I know you talked a little bit about your story. So why beverages over some of the other options that are there in consumer packaged goods? I'm sure maybe food was something as well, but I'm just curious, what got you into wanting to go the beverage route specifically? Yeah. Well, I have been a health and wellness fundy for quite a while and have experimented with other food startups as well back in the days. The reason why we decided to to push on beverages is because 
twofold. One is it's just something that people consume on an everyday, multiple times a day. And because of that, you can really help customers access some of the great like adaptogens and botanicals that we use. It's a very easy way. You'll have a couple of beverages in a day in any case. So why not have one with these ingredients without any calories? And then the second reason is because I've spent a lot of time working with several beverage companies and supply chain and logistics. So I understand that aspect of the business and I'm really excited about building a sustainable business and making it, making the price point really accessible for the customers. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know you said you had some previous experience working with other brands as well. I know you've previously worked with McKinsey and Company. What are some of the insights that you have carried over from your time over there when you kind of started to build Moment? Yeah. Well, McKinsey has taught me so much. And the two big things I would say it has taught me are, one is how to get to the root of the problem, quickly identify issues and adapt, which has helped in a multitude of situations as we've gone through the Moment journey. And then secondly, I did a lot of work optimizing supply chains of McKinsey clients. Yeah, and I'm very excited about applying those lessons. Sometimes this means shaving off every possible scent from things like our packaging to our fulfillment, all with the aim of making you know moment affordable for customers all over the U.S., in middle America, and for making it accessible on a daily basis. Yeah, that's great. So I'd love to dive into that actually a little bit more. I know we had some other questions as well, but what are some of the things, and if you don't mind sharing, some of the key things that you are doing over there to kind of, like you said, shave off some of the scents to allow for more affordable, I guess, inputs so that way your output, what you're giving to your customers or what you're selling is a little bit on the lower price point? Definitely. So I can go on about this for hours, but I'll just give you a quick overview of some of the critical things. The first thing is just how you plan your supply chain, where you get your ingredients from, how you concentrate your suppliers. And this is from like the number of suppliers to the location of the suppliers. Secondly is, you know, your fulfillment and storage. There's a lot of planning that needs to go into how you optimize that based on where your customers are and what type of you know service you want to provide them. And then lastly is the actual production side of things, which is a big critical component. And ensuring being very close partners with your canning and your co-producer facilities or however you might be doing your production to ensure the thought partnership and work together to be able to make the best decisions on uh, the entire process. I think that's some great feedback for the audience that's listening out there. So one other thing that I know has been big for Moment, your experience has been really big in kind of driving some of those things, as you mentioned, and product feedback. And I know you mentioned when we had talked before was focus groups have been really important for creating a great product at Moment even before you guys actually launched. Can you just like go into your process for collecting feedback before you guys launch? And if there's any like key steps that you want to specifically call out that you think founders should also take to kind of get the right type of feedback and really ensure success when you're launching your product and maybe even after you've launched. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's easy to say, hey, just run a focus group and sample. But I think to get meaningful results from focus groups and get like real product feedback, you have to orchestrate it really thoughtfully. We focused on customer research for about two years and conducted hundreds of different focus groups. And a couple of methods or things that we observed and used were really helpful and I would love to share. So the first thing is quickly deciphering who your target customer is. Initially, you know, when we started our focus groups, we got very mixed results. Some customers loved what we were doing. Some were not that excited about it because we were just inviting everyone. And that also goes to the taste, uh, right? The, the taste palette of health conscious customers is very different from some other customers. And so we very quickly realized that we need to zoom down into our target customer and have them participate more often into our focus groups. And even if you want to test other customers, separate those results so we can meaningfully glean insights. The second thing that we did, which was very helpful, was blind taste testing. So you don't literally need to put a blindfold, but it's just not sharing what's in the product to ensure you don't bias the customer. So for example, you have them have a drink and ask them to tell what they felt, what they liked, and only later do you share, hey, this actually had an ingredient, apple cider vinegar, or this had Tulsi in it. Just because sometimes given a lot of information out there, a lot of media out there, certain ingredients or certain things can have certain set perceptions in people's mind, which can influence them to think even before they have the product. And people, it's something that they don't always realize consciously. The other thing that we did was a lot of A-B testing, and that was to provide a frame of reference. So for example, you know, we would have um, slightly more complex flavors and slightly sweet flavors. And because there would be those flavors, consumers would be like, okay, yeah, I don't actually like that sweet flavor. I much prefer the slightly savory flavor. And that was important because that actually caused us to stumble on this insight, which is, you know, a lot of our target customers, they don't like very sweet drinks. And their palate is shifting away from that, which was really important for us. And then lastly, I would say it's not just about asking them whether they like it or not. It's about asking the right depth of questions. So if they like it, then what are some of the things that they like about it? What are some of the things that they don't like about it, even if they like the product? And understanding those things to the depth as well. So if they say, yeah, I don't actually like the aftertaste or this is why I don't like the aftertaste. It makes me you know, feel slightly sick or whatever that might be. Understanding that level is really important to be able to make dis- the right decisions based on this feedback. Yeah, that's really insightful over there. So I'm really curious also, I know you mentioned that you had done a lot of testing on different flavors and things like that. And I saw on your website that you guys have three flavors now. So what was that process like in terms of distilling the flavors? Like how many flavors did you guys start with to test out? And then like, what was that process? Did you get rid of all of the extra ones that I guess didn't do well in the focus groups all at once? Or was it kind of like an over time thing, like a continuous A-B testing thing? I just love some, love to dive into that. 
there's a lot of iteration, like you mentioned. You know, there was we started off with small changes across different flavors over time to get to what we have. So we literally did like thousands of formulations, and they all some of them started off in our tiny little kitchen in New York. But so, as I mentioned, I have lived in multiple different parts of the world. My co-founder is from South Africa. And so we really went back to all that we knew and the different cultures that we have experienced in our life and took inspiration from there. So, for example, one of our flavors, Roibas Blood Orange, uh, Roibas is a tea, is a very popular tea in South Africa. And we tried other teas as well, but, uh, you know, we, once we hit like the robust blood orange combination, we saw that people really liked that flavor. And so we stuck with it. Uh, similarly, there's some other flavors like Tulsi lemon, hibiscus dragon fruit from other parts of the world. Like uh, Tulsi is something very popular in India and Pakistan, which is where I spent time growing up. And yeah, that was the inspiration behind that. So yeah, it took some time. It took a lot of iteration. The other thing I would mention is that a lot of the adaptogens that we have have also been taken, like the ashwagandha, holy basil, eltonine, the ones that are used to help calm and bring about that effect. That has also been taken from different cultures around the world. And these are things that have been used for thousands of years in these cultures for similar purposes. That's awesome. Thanks for diving into that there. So I know we've talked a lot about product feedback, and I want to dive in a little bit more on that. So I know you mentioned that you had spent about two years before the product actually launched, starting your product feedback. So looking back on that, what would you advise founders that are out there? How much time should they be spending into product feedback? How much product feedback should they be doing? Before they launch, should it be two years? Should it be less? Should it be more? And then I'm really curious as well. And since product feedback has been such a thing that's been important in moments creation, how you guys are conducting product feedback right now, now that you have actually launched the product? That's a great question. And in terms of your question on the time you should spend, I'm going to give you an answer that you'll hate. It really depends. And it even depends on whether you should do a lot of product feedback or whether you should launch uh, right away and then do iterations. It depends on which industry you're playing in, what stage of a company you're at, whether you're already established company launching a new product or or a startup coming with the first time product. I would say for us, it worked because we were trying to really disrupt and play on a lot of trends. One is the trend towards like low sugar or no artificial sweeteners or more, much more healthier products. And then the second is this is the trend towards the shifting um, taste preferences of people. And so given that and given we wanted to balance the functional benefits, taste, health, it was critical to get it right. Sometimes in the CPG world, you don't get multiple shots at the game. You have one shot and you got to do it right. And so that's why it took us two years. I think it really depends on you know, the product and the company. I would say the other thing that you touched upon is really critical 
on how should you conduct product feedback after launching. You need to continuously test and pivot, which is why the D2C model is so great because it really, for a CPG company, it really allows you to be in constant communication with your customer, understand them, because the feedback loop in retail is so long and sometimes broken. In this online world uh, we live today, you're constantly connected to your customer. So you can really leverage that, which is what we have done in terms of getting constant feedback. So a couple of things we do is, one, we send out customer surveys post-purchase. Secondly, we have options for customers to write us reviews, send us emails. We really engage with our customers on social media when they buy the product, when they tag us, when they like it. We have a conversation with them. Again, I would say what we're trying to do is get to the depth of it, which is, you know, not just that they like the product, but what they liked about it, what did they not like, and keep a close pulse on what is changing in terms of these trends. Lastly, I would say one aspect is the product. The other aspect is the overall experience for the customer, especially after you launch, which is really important, right? It's about the end-to-end, so how was their purchase and how was their like, receiving the product experience, which we also really pay, pay close attention to because you need to have it all to be a successful business. So one thing that you mentioned that I thought was really interesting back when we were talking about uh, your whole product feedback cycle where you guys spent two years, and I kind of want to circle back a little bit over there. So you mentioned that it kind of depends on, it's going to be different for every single brand. It's not going to be the same, but what were some of those key indicators that kind of helped you decide, hey, we've reached the end of at least this feedback cycle where now we have enough feedback that we need to be able to launch our product. Like, How did you come to that decision? Great question and very important. I should have mentioned earlier, we had set a goal for ourselves that once we identify our target customer, we are going to ensure that at least 90% of our customers love the product. And we would ask different types of questions such as, would you recommend this product to a friend? Would you buy this product and consume it every day? Would you actually replace this product with a current product that you have? just to understand like that they truly meant, yes, we will have it every day and 90% of the customers loved it. So we internally said that like 90% mark that customers would love it, 90% customers would see the efficacy of it and only then we'll launch with it, which is what took us so long. It was a much more difficult process creating a product that tasted good, healthy and had the functional benefits in the beverage category. But I think in a lot of other categories, it's of course going to be different timing wise. Uh, One other thing I would mention is that it's something that goes on continuously. So, you know, after we launched, we've also gotten great reaction from customers, but also customers have said, hey, we would also love to have like this type of flavor, this type of flavor. And so what we're doing right now is we're in the process of formulating new flavors as well, which are going to be launched in another few months. So again, to your point, like continuing this product feedback cycle, even post-launch to refine, introduce new features or products that customer wants. So I want to jump into one other thing over here. You mentioned that you wanted to get to 90% before you decided to go ahead and launch your product. 
What kind of sample size did you use to help determine that? And then I guess the other question I also had, based on what you've said so far, is I'm really interested, like, what channels are you using to communicate with your customers and talk to? Is it Instagram? Is it Twitter? Like, where are the most of those conversations happening? So great questions. On the first point, we had done, let's say, in terms of the sample size and the number of customer focus groups, I don't have the exact numbers, but we ran about like hundreds of those along with sampling outside grocery stores and you know specialty stores to get that output. We were looking at definitely sample size of both the target customers, the non-target customers to ensure statistically significant results. And on your point on how do we communicate with a customer, we're doing it a couple of ways. One is they get an automated survey on their email once they have the product. So that's just like quick feedback. But we also have a text channel with the customer. We actually have a text-based meditation course where customers can interact with us. We are on Instagram. We have customers can just send us direct email. What I do is often when customers share their thoughts on email, I'll jump on the phone with customers every so often just to understand. It's really amazing because every time I have a customer conversation, I learn new things, which is very helpful for us in thinking about next steps, our different channels, and so on. Yeah. And I think that's something that's really interesting over there, especially just getting on the phone and talking to your customers. I don't think you see it often enough in at least consumer products. I know for us, Trend is a B2B platform. So we work with a lot of businesses. So for business to business SaaS, a lot of us are jumping on the phones and getting customer feedback. But I don't think it's as common in the B2C world, which I'm glad that you're kind of pointing that out and calling that out to highlight that. Yeah, that's a great point. It's not as common in this world, which is why the pace of innovation has been so slow or we just haven't seen enough given the size of the market. We just haven't seen enough innovative products in the market. Yeah, definitely. So I know we've talked a lot about product feedback over here, and I want to kind of turn it a little bit more and segue into talking about what other founders can do as well. So you really focus in on having a strong customer experience there. If you had to give three tips to founders that are listening or even other marketers that are listening that are looking to maybe stay a little bit closer to the ground, maybe get a little bit better customer experience, feedback, what are three things that you would suggest, whether it's like questions or things to do? Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts there. For sure. So my three tips are very simple. One would be to focus on the customer and the feeling. Too many people, you know, start off with that, but then they come up with the product and they get stuck on the product as opposed to the impact or the feeling you're trying to provide the customer. So I would say all when you're thinking about it, always frame it from the perspective of like, how does it make the customer feel? What is the use occasion that it fits in? And how do I ensure that I continue achieving that? The second thing is, you know, just thinking deeply. I know it sounds really simple, but sometimes you know, people don't do enough of that. 
So one example of that is customers won't realize something is a need and sometimes you need to push the thinking. So for example, just doing just focus groups, you'll understand the need, but you might not have the answer from those. And that's where you need to push your thinking to be able to do that. And then lastly, I would say this is the point that we touched upon earlier. I would say talk to your customers, really talk to them, spend like at least a couple of hours every week in conversations with your customer, whichever way you can, be it on the phone, be it on email, but really have a pulse and understand because things shift, especially in today's world, things and customer needs and preferences change so quickly and it's really important to be on top of it. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. And so finally, as we're kind of coming up to the end of this podcast and we're wrapping things up, I want to ask you as a founder, who has been inspirational in your journey? Who do you look up to? Who are some of the people that have helped out? What are the brands that maybe have been inspirational for you as well? Yeah, I would say that the entire entrepreneurial community is a really, really special place. And I'm sure you have felt similarly. I mean, there've been so many times people, especially other women, founders or investors have just reached out and offered support and chatted. And these are folks who have big businesses or big funds running. The fact that this community is so collaborative, positive, upbeat, that's been really inspirational for me as a whole. And I try uh, to do the same where I can. I mean, of course, you know, there is the business and investment gurus like, I don't know, Tim Ferriss, Ray Dalio, and Evolve, who are also really inspirational in terms of their lessons on life and business, which can be applied anywhere and everywhere. And I routinely listen to them to think about what I can take and apply for a moment. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And so I want to end on one question. Obviously, I'll give you some time to talk about where people can find you as well. But talking about you know, your entrepreneurial journey to this point, I'm sure there have been some challenges that you faced as well. So I'd love to hear what you would share to other entrepreneurs, other founders out there, even people that are looking to just help if they're working for a brand, looking to push that brand forward. What are some of those challenges that you face and what can you learn and any other advice that you have to share as well? Yeah. Again, really simple things. Um, Firstly, I would say never give up. There are just far too many examples to share here. I mean, frankly, starting a business is really tough. There'll be difficult days and there will be rejections and not everyone is going to agree with your philosophy and you just need to believe in it. Uh, Really pick yourself up and keep pushing things forward. The second thing I would say is be scrappy. I mean, we started this business by mixing thousands of different flavors in our tiny little kitchen and it would often take like days and days of prep, but it allowed us to keep our costs down and be able to really bootstrap a business, which I think is really important. I would suggest like people do that at least at an upfront stage. And then lastly, this is something that we've been, I've been harping on the whole time, but listen to your customers. I mean, we created a moment to fit a specific need in our life, but have been amazed at all the like, 
interesting ways our customers use our product, which is what has inspired us to think about the new flavors and use cases. So some of them will use us uh, as a pre-yoga drink to get into the zone. Others will use us as a way to deal with the quarantine stress in the morning. And some will use us as an alcohol replacement as well. So you know, just always having a pulse on what the customers are using you for and listening to them. That's great advice there. And thank you for diving into that a little bit more. So as we come up to the end of this podcast, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of share what's next for Moment and where can people get in touch with you? Where can people look up Moment? All of that good stuff. Yeah. So in terms of next for us, now we are starting to expand into retail. I'm very excited about being more accessible for our customers. At this point, we're just starting off in New York, but hopefully in some time we'll be available in other regions as well. We are looking at launching a couple of new flavors next year. Again, as I mentioned, there's multiple different use cases in which people have been using Moment. And so we want to create like flavors that would really fit in well there. And for us, people have really loved what we have created and the need that we have fulfilled. And so we want to also think about what are some of the other experiences or products that we can help our customers with so we can continue growing our community one person at a time. Right now, Moment is available on our website at www.drinkmoment.com. You can also purchase us on Amazon and we are available in select places in New York, but hopefully we'll be available in more places in the near future. Awesome. And where can people reach out to you if they want to talk with you directly? Yeah, definitely. So they can reach out at hi, H-I-Hi, at drinkmoment.com. And I would love to hear from you and talk to anyone who wants to. Awesome. Well, Aisha, it was great having you on the podcast, talking a lot about product feedback, how to build the best customer experience out there. And so... Thanks for sharing all of your thoughts for everyone that's listening to the podcast. We always appreciate you listening to the DTC pod. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and please subscribe to the podcast. Other than that, we will see you next time on the DTC pod.